Durant, left to right, lost a handle, turnover Brooklyn, six turnovers for Kevin Durant. Your defense, JT, was unbelievable. You made Kevin and Kyrie work so hard. You know, those are two of the best scores in the world. Our goal is just to can't give them no easy looks, make them feel comfortable, because it's going to be a long night. ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on ESPN Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I'm Amber Wilson. He is Harry Douglas. We are taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern. You can tweet to us at AmberW790, at HDouglas83. You can also join the conversation on the Canty Collin line at one triple eight say espn 888-729-3776. Lots of action in the NBA, Harry, last night. The 76ers took it to the Raptors, 104-101. to They now lead that series three games to none. Kind of feels like that series might be over. We will get into that throughout the show. The Bulls surprised the Bucks last night, 114-110, to and a big injury in Milwaukee that we will get into on today's show as well. But let's start with Celtics-Nets. The Celtics now lead that series two games to none, coming off of a 114-107 victory in Game 2 last night. And it is time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Now, Harry, this might be surprising to some, which maybe it shouldn't be because we're talking about the seventh seed and the second seed, right? And here, somehow, yeah. the most people had the Nets as the favorite in the series, even though the Celtics have been the much better team all season long, particularly in the second half of the season with that elite defense. So who do you blame for the situation right now for Brooklyn? Ooh, I think collect, collectively it's a lot of th- different things. Well, the first thing I have in mind is the turnovers, right? The turnovers by the Brooklyn Nets. And it's not just the turnovers, it's the timing of the turnovers, right? And those turnovers are leading to big buckets for the Boston Celtics. Now, the second thing um, I, I give credit to is the ball movement. The ball movement is terrible for the Brooklyn Nets. They do not move the basketball. It's, hey, KD, you do your thing. Hey, Kyrie, you do your thing. And when the Boston Celtics are playing such great defense, it's making it harder for those two uh, superstars to actually get things uh, done. Now, the third thing I will credit to it also is defense late in games. Um, I thought yesterday, for the most part, that the Brooklyn Nets played um, a, some good sound defense. But when it came down to crunch time, Jason Tatum, um, Jalen Brown, you seen Pritchard. You see all these guys make plays and get to the bucket easily because of the lack of defense or the lack of uh, attention to detail when it came to defense by the Brooklyn Nets. And last but not least, the superstars did not play like superstars. And that's one of the things that cannot happen. Yes, it was Kevin Durant. Yes, it was Kyrie Irving. Those two guys did not play up to their standards, and it showed throughout that ball game left and right. Yeah, so let's start with Kevin Durant. He went 0 for 10 from the field in the second half, the most field goal attempts without making, without a make in any half of his entire career, according to ESPN stats and info. Uh, that is not good, Harry Douglas, in a game two yeah. of a playoff series against a very, very elite defense in the NBA, the, the best defense in the entire league in the second half of the season. Here is Kevin Durant, the Nets forward. Uh, this was on his performance right after the game. Just keep grinding. You know, I'm going to turn the ball over. I'm going to shoot the ball a lot in the playoffs. I mean, play a lot of minutes. It's on me to just, fi- just finish it and figure it out. They're doing a good job of trying to cut off my scoring. You know, two or three people could test or somebody there in the lane when I'm driving. So they're doing a good job. It's on me to figure it out. 
So they're doing a good job. Well, that's true. Uh, The Celtics are doing a good job. And in fairness to KD, Harry, I mean, he does have two or three defenders on him the entire game long. He did talk about it after the game as well. He said, I watch Al Horford leave his guy. He comes over, keys in on me. I mean, KD will have three bodies on him at a time. And it is on the rest of that Brooklyn Nets team to step up. But when we're talking about one of the best players in the NBA, a player that is often compared to a LeBron James, James in terms of the caliber of player that we're talking about with Kevin Durant, then the expectation is that even with three defenders on you, you're going to somehow find a way around that. Well, you have to, but you look at KD um, when Kyrie wasn't there times during the regular season, right? He figured out ways to hit the, to make the right pass, to hit the open guy so they can be able to make shots. What's different in this series? The only difference in this series is that you're getting keyed on even that much more because they know how lethal you are offensively if they do not do those type of things. So I think he just needs to slow down a little bit. He's trying to do too much. All this hesitation, dribble, crossover, hesitation again. Make a move and go. And then once you see the, the, the double teams or the triple teams come and make the correct basketball play and go from there. Don't try to do too much. But KD going 0 for 10 in the second half and him and Kyrie or Irving going 1 for 17 in the second half, that cannot happen. And when I talked about those turnovers, those turnovers a lot came from Kevin Durant. And as your superstar player, as the leader of that team, um, I don't like the attitude in that clip, him saying, hey, I'm going to have turnovers. We understand a lot of people are going to have turnovers, but the turnovers that you are having are costing your team uh, at, at the biggest moment. So you can't have those turnovers in those key moments that are leading to Boston Celtic points and leading them to rally, especially at the TD Garden. Now, I understand they're going back to Brooklyn for the next two games, but you can't have those turnovers in Brooklyn either because the, uh, the Boston Celtics play stifling defense, right? So you can't give them extra possessions. That's just point blank, period. Yeah, Durant still somehow managed to score 27 points, uh, mainly by getting to the free throw line where he was 18 of 20 last night. So something that KD did well, but they're going to need a lot more from Kevin Durant if they are planning to crawl out of this hole and get out of this series against the Boston Celtics. Stephen A. Smith was on Get Up, and he said that he's concerned about the way KD's been playing. And I'm willing to say this. If he continues to play this way, the way that he has looked in games one and two, of this series, I can never talk about him being the best player in the world again. This is some alarming stuff that we are witnessing. We are watching a Boston Celtics team get all up in them. I don't want to hear about the blitzing. I don't want to hear about the double teaming. I don't want to hear about any of this other stuff. It maybe feels a bit like prisoner of the moment to overreact so much that now we're having a conversation about Kevin Durant's legacy in terms of one of the best players that ever lived. But he has been involved in that conversation throughout his career, Harry Douglas. And when you're thrown into that conversation, whether it's one of the greatest to ever do it or one of the greatest of this generation to do it either way, there comes lofty expectations. And those expectations are to get past the first round. Yeah, you look at the rebounding of Kevin Durant in the first two games. I think it's at an all-time low. You look at his field goal percentage right now. I think it's 32% in the first two games. I think that's the second lowest of his career when it came to uh, uh, maybe playoffs or first two games in the playoff series. So everything Kevin Durant is doing right now is at an all-time low because of the defense. And I gotta, you got to give Udoka some credit. And you have to give those players of the Boston Celtics credit as well because they reach deep down inside and they say, you know what, not on our watch. You look at a guy like Marcus Smart who comes in with a – a robe, defensive player of the year robe. Them boys should have knew right then what it was going to be. 
They take pride in everything that they do. You look at a guy like Grant Williams, who's coming off the bench, adding that physical presence. Now, I like Grant Williams when he was at Tennessee playing at, uh, uh, playing at UT, making big plays from the three-point line down inside in the paint. And his body presence is meeting a lot in this series. And then the way he scored the ball yesterday as well, the defensive plays, the rebounding, the boxing out. Putting his, uh, he, he's, a, he's in thicker stature than a lot of guys on the Brooklyn Nets team. So he's boxing those guys out with ease. But for Kevin Durant, if you don't have a Ben Simmons right now, you have to commit more to rebounding and take more pride on the defensive end. You have to do that because the Boston Celtics are playing no games. They are for real, and they're here to show up and show out. Right now, the Boston Celtics, Celtics their mindset, they're trying to embarrass the Brooklyn Nets. They're trying to sweep them. But it's up to KD and Kyrie and the rest of those guys collectively to make sure that it doesn't happen. Now, the Nets were up big in this game on the Celtics, but the Celtics came all the way back. KD end up, ended up the night with 27 points, as I mentioned, four rebounds, five assists to Harry Douglas's point, four rebounds. When you're Kevin Durant, when you're often 6-11. out there as the tallest guy on that court, and you're supposed to be, I mean, you're easily the best player on that court at any given time that you're out there, and you're supposed to be one of the greatest players ever. Four rebounds. I mean, that is not going to cut it for the Brooklyn Nets. We continue this conversation. What changes, if any, can Steve Nash make to turn this series around? This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern. So, Harry, it's not just on Kevin Durant, though, right? Like, there's a bevy of reasons that the Nets are down in this whole two games to none. And one of those, I do think, is that the Celtics game plan on KD has been working like a gem. And that means that you need more in terms of the scheme from Steve Nash. You need to figure out a way. When KD has three defenders on him, there needs to be a plan in place to get that ball out to the supporting cast and for that supporting cast who should have open shots at that point to actually get the ball in the hoop. It seems simple enough to say, and yet somehow it's something that Brooklyn doesn't seem prepared for against a very, very good Celtics defense that we knew was going to key in on KD. I'm just surprised that it's been so effective, even if we're talking about such a good defense. Here's three things I think Steve Nash and three adjustments that he's going to have to make going forward in this series. Number one, the Brooklyn Nets have to understand that the Boston Celtics play a different brand of defense they're accustomed going to on a regular basis, right? So with that being said, stop trying to play this half-court game, even though you have two of the most prolific scores to, we've ever seen the game have in the National Basketball Association, right? You have to rebound and get out and have fast break points, right? In the first half, they had 13 fast break points. In the first game, totally, they had 17. So at halftime, they had 13. You want to know how many they, how many they finished with, Amber? They finished with 13. But when they had those 13, they were leading, they were up because they were getting out, not giving the Boston Celtics a chance to set up their stifling defense that we've seen so much in games one and two. The second thing, Steve Kerr, you have to consider playing uh, LaMarcus Aldridge at some point during this game, during during this series. Um, It's too many times we say KYP, know your personnel, that these guys are throwing the ball to Nick Claxton, who's done a tremendous job. But when clutch free throws are on the line, he's not making those free throws. Neither is Andre Drummond. So why not have a guy in there um, that can hit free throws if he gets fouled so you know you can bank on one or at least two points going down in your books? Now, when I said the Brooklyn Nets – they decide at the wrong times to not play stifling defense. That's because they're giving up easy buckets late in games. 
So if you have Nick Claxton in there and you're still giving up those buckets, if you don't want LaMarcus Aldridge in there because you think he's going to give up, it's not going to matter anyway. You're giving up those easy buckets late in the game regardless. So why not have a guy in there that that can uh, shoot free throws and help you score points? Last but not least, the ball movement. Steve Kerr has to draw up plays and have some kind of offensive fluidness when it comes to the offensive end. These guys are just standing around. They're not doing not, – they're not helping the superstars out at all. So figure out what you can call to get into the, your offense early and often and stop holding the ball. Guys got to stop holding the ball for five, six, seven, eight seconds. Ball movement is very, very key going against the Boston Celtics defense. You keep saying Steve Kerr. Now I wish, now I'm guessing oh, right Nash, now the I'm Nets sorry. might. No, the Nets probably wish they had Steve Kerr uh, as a coach right now instead of Steve Nash. So a bit of a Freudian slip by you. But Steve Nash has to find more space for Kevin Durant on that floor. And Kyrie recognized that he's got to get Katie into spots to make the game a lot easier for Kevin Durant. But it's easier said than done against the Celtics D. Jay Williams from Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max said this morning that Steve Nash can't just go ahead and make these in-game adjustments. So many people around the league have talked about Steve Nash's inability for in-game adjusting. And we saw that in their offense so many times in the second half. It was just, they were, they were so stagnant. The ball died when it was in Katie or Kyrie's hand. Nobody was moving off the ball. And that's when you talk about Boston going on a 23-4 run in the fourth quarter and coming back. It, this comes down to coaching to me. It comes mm. down a lot to coaching to me as well. Steve Kerr would have made those in-game adjustments. It's something that Steve oh, Nash yes, has not would've. been doing. Nash said after the game, I think that they're being physical. They're up and into him, talking about KD, grabbing him, holding him, all that stuff you come to expect. He's just been uncomfortable. It hasn't looked like he's been able to quite get his rhythm. And I would say to Steve Nash, that's all true, but it's also on you to help him get his rhythm by putting Ooh. your player in the best position to avoid some of that triple D that they have been throwing at Kevin Durant. Preach Amber Wilson preach. Now, now let me, let me get on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving right now, because at the beginning of the, when, when this whole thing got put together, we don't really need a coach. We don't really need a coach right now. You, you damn sure need a coach. Mm-hmm. You need a guy to make the game easier for both of you guys. And it goes to show a lot of people don't have that mindset that people are so good that they don't, they can't be coached up. Because I'll tell you this, even if Udoka had this team in Brooklyn right now, I don't think they'd be down 2-0. If, if Monty Williams had this team, they wouldn't be down 2-0. Hell, if Mark Jackson decided he didn't want to announce and call games anymore, I don't think this team would be down 2-0. But it, the coaching part of it, but yes, your superstars are great, but great coaching makes things easier for them, especially against the Boston Celtics defense that are they like a bunch of piranhas, like a, a bunch of hyenas uh, wanting prey and hungry on a lion. The lion is by itself. K- KD and Kyrie, they two lions by themselves, and the, and the Boston Celtics are like 15 hyenas, hungry, want, wanting food and willing to do any and everything to get that food and feed that hunger. That's what we're seeing right now from both of these teams out there on the court. The Celtics defense has turned, uh, forced Durant to turn the ball over 12 times, often at very critical times, and that is all because 
of their ability as a team to make those in-game adjustments, to have that defensive game plan, something that it doesn't seem like Brooklyn right now is capable of doing. So we're giving all the praise. I mean, you're sitting here saying, hey, a first-year head coach could get it done better than Steve Nash is getting it done. But we haven't really had an opportunity so far in Steve Nash's coaching career to see him really get anything done. And there's been a lot of reasons for that and a lot of excuses because of this strange couple years here that we've experienced in Brooklyn. But now you are seeing it that you do need the coaching despite what Kyrie is saying. I mean, I don't know who was coaching last night because according to Kyrie, maybe it's him, maybe it's KD on any given night. Whoever was coaching last night did not do a good job of it, Harry Douglas. Whoever is coaching that team is going to need to do a better job. And the reality is that guys like Kevin Durant probably don't need much coaching. But when Kevin Durant has three defenders on him, then Mm -hmm. it's that whole game plan that comes into effect. It's that whole coaching thing that helps everybody else out on that court. See, this Brooklyn Nets team, they had a guy who was hired before Steve Nash. His name was Kenny Atkinson. And I know Kenny Atkinson very well because my brother, he was one of the assistant coaches with the Knicks, and my brother worked worked with him hand-in-hand just about every day. A damn good coach. He had this Brooklyn Nets team playing some good basketball before he left. If Kenny Atkinson was their coach right now, the defensive letdowns that we see late in game, just the stagnant, uh, the, the way the guys are stagnant on offense, we wouldn't be seeing any of these things. That's why it's important who you bring in. Stop bringing in people who want to, that you want, to, you want to be your friend. Bring in people you want to coach you hard and want you to get better every single day. All this friendship stuff when it comes to coaching in any sport. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to make sure I get the best out of you and we reach a common goal as a team collectively. Now, Nash has faced a lot of adversity during his tenure here with the Brooklyn Nets, and he has blamed some of these issues on continuity. And it's fair that he has faced the adversity with, like, he had 10 players on his roster, right, and of, with new players, and, and then the loss of Joe Harris and the whole vaccine mandate with Irving and what happened there with James Harden and now Ben Simmons and what could potentially happen with Ben Simmons, who reportedly now is supposed to be back for game four. So it has been difficult, I suppose, for this Nets team to gain any continuity. But that is also where coaching is so darn important and comes into play. So right now, the Brooklyn Nets are up against it in this 0-2 hole. They will head back home, so they'll get a chance here at Barclays. Ben Simmons, I mentioned, may be there for game four. We haven't seen him play basketball since 2021. Early 2021, uh, Harry, I believe. (laughs) Do you think Ben Simmons is going to be the answer? Uh, I believe he can help out a lot uh, when it comes to KD purposes, right? Um, a guy that can set solid screens, a guy that's going to help rebound, a guy that uh, that has a little bit more, uh, more weight on him so the Boston Celtics defenders or players won't be able to just throw him around and treat him like a rag doll. So in those regards, I do believe he's going to be able to take a little bit more pressure off of Kevin Durant because, Amber, you mentioned um, in our production meeting that KD is exerting so much energy on the defensive end and trying to get to the rebounding, and I don't think he's doing a great job of even getting to the rebounding, but I'll just say on the defensive end, trying to guard Jason Tatum and these other guys for I mean, the Boston Celtics. he's not doing Celtics. that good a job on the defensive end either, but he's oh, trying. Yeah. yeah, he's trying. <laughs> There's but just so he, much on he's his He's so shoulders. exhausted. Exactly. He's so exhausted by the time he gets to the offensive end to the mm-hmm. point of where I think that's where a lot of those turnovers are coming as well because he's exerting so much energy. And I don't know how him and Kyrie – are going to do it series, series, series after series after series, having to exert so much energy. Yesterday, Kyrie Irving, in my eyes, and no one's talking about this, and it's nothing against his religion, but Kyrie looked like 
he was tired and exhausted. He finally looked like it. I know in game one he was balling out, hit 39, but he looked like in that game in game two, like his energy level was very, very low because it was times where he wasn't even trying to go get the basketball. And then when he got a chance to get subbed out, he went back in the back of the locker room and got some food to snack on um, to, 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 to deal with his hunger a little bit. I said his, what was it, 40-point performance or whatever it was in game one, I don't have it in front of me, was like the best performance in NBA history because he was doing that without food and water all day. And that's yeah. the, the water component of the fasting to me is what's so remarkable. I mean, listen, I'm not a world-class athlete, but I cannot imagine, imagine doing anything physical, oh, Harry, after not eating or drinking time. all day long. Pay attention to the time because, you know, when you're doing Ramadan, um, I think it's, sun up to sundown. I, I can't, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how it works, but during the daytime, he can't drink anything. So remember that mm-hmm. game Sunday was at three 30 versus yesterday, that game being at 7 PM. Now right. you're going a few more hours without any of those things. And you have to wait during the game to the sun um, to uh, set. set. And then you can start hydrating. And it, I exactly. think it's the hydration factor. I mean, listen, I can't do, I can't even do this radio show when I'm hangry, but the hydration factor, forget about it. So I can't, re- I can't imagine how difficult that is on Kyrie's body. All right, that was Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up next, how impressive is the 76ers 3-0 series lead over Toronto? This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. Joel can get a bucket anytime in a in a basketball game. It'd be Maxi trying to break free. They circle around. It's Joel. He turns. He fires for three. It's a it's good. It beat. He makes his shot. And the Sixers have taken the lead. And Joel Embiid said, "You know what? I got it. I'm going to handle it." What did Joel Embiid do? 33 points, 13 rebounds, 12 of 20 from the floor, including that game-winning three-pointer. Just hearing Freddie Coleman's voice always makes me so happy. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas hanging out with you. And we are asking you, as we've been talking a lot about that Nets Celtics series, we are asking you on the Canty call-in line at Triple H say ESPN, who is most responsible for the Nets being down 0-2? So give us a call, 888-729-3776. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight as the Timberwolves host the Grizzlies, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. There were more games, though, last night than just Nets sees. The 76ers beat the Raptors. 
for the third time in a row. 104 to 101. No team ever crawls out of an 03 hole, Harry Douglas. And I'm not sure Toronto has enough to crawl out of this one. I thought for a moment that they were going to get it done, that Toronto was actually going to take one. I never thought Toronto was going to win this series, but I have been disappointed by by this Toronto Raptors team because I said that out of those lower seeds, that this was the team that I thought maybe could cause a little trouble here in the first round. And and frankly, they've been mostly a no-show. Now, last night, they did put up a fight. It took an Embiid three-pointer with .8 seconds left in OT to give the 76ers the victory last night. Also, Embiid then promptly told Drake, I'm coming for the sweep, too. So trash talking uh, to Drake (laughs) as well, which is what you do uh, when you're in Toronto. But so far, this series has been even more lopsided, Harry, than I expected it to be. Yes, it has. And I'll tell you this. We just seen on the screen for those who are watching on ESPN Plus, we seen Jurassic Park, right? You just seen Jurassic Park. Well, guess what? Them damn dinosaurs ain't getting out of Jurassic Park right now because the 76ers are all on them like white on rice. Now, I'll say this. Now, I can't praise the 76ers too much because this is a Toronto Raptors basketball team without a key guy on their team and Scotty Burns, who uh, potentially could win the Rookie of the Year award. That's huge for me. Also, I look at the game like last night. The Toronto Raptors should have won that game. Uh, Fred Van Fleet, he did not have his best game. I think he only hit three basket, three field goals. Normally, he he hits those big-time shots. Watching him throughout this season, he was a guy that they can count on to hit big shots in timely fashion when they needed him. He didn't do that last night. But I got to give credit to this player right here for the Toronto Raptors, Ananobi. Ananobi balled out. From scoring the basketball, playing defense, hustle plays, recovering uh, when he was helping on defense, getting back, making a key block. I thought they called a gold 10 on him last night. That was not a gold 10, but that's the story for another day. But when I look at this uh, Philadelphia 76ers team, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is a guy who can dominate any and every basketball game uh, if he wants to. Now, I do like the mindset of Embiid, talking to smack to Drake, letting people know. And for him, going against the Raptors, I think it's a little bit more personal because we can never forget the shot that Kawhi Leonard hit to send the 76ers home, and they went on to win the uh, NBA championship that exact same year. Now, you look at a guy like Tyrese Maxey. I think right now Tyrese Maxey is saving this 76ers team. His play and how vital he has been for them has been huge. Now, James Harden, I'm not disappointed in James Harden from a facilitating standpoint. I'm disappointed in James Harden because you look at that game the other night against the Raptors, right? 49 seconds to go in that game. They're down one point. He gets two free throws. It's James Harden. I expect you to make both of those free throws. You're a damn good free throw shooter. But people are human. They miss. But in that moment, I don't expect James Harden to miss. He missed one. The game is tied. You go down on the opposite end on defense, and you foul a Chua. Right. And not only did you file him, that was your sixth foul. And luckily, he missed both of the free throws or the Raptors would have won that ball game. So it's little things like that that James Harden is doing. And then looking at him trying to go past people, it's just not there. The explosion is not there. Uh, but I'll tell you this. The Philadelphia 76ers, Daryl Morey, did not bring James Harden in to be that facilitator. Even though he's doing a hell of a job of doing it, he, he's opened up Tyrese Maxey and, and, and Tobias Harris to another level. But when you play against a team like, let's just say your Miami Heat, Amber, advances, and the Philadelphia 76ers advances, 
mediocre James Harden is going to get it done. They're going to be able to beat the Miami Heat with James Harden being mediocre and not being that dominant force that he was brought to Philadelphia to be. That's my question I pose to people because it's good right now because you're going against the Toronto Raptors who are down a key player in Scotty Barnes. But when you're playing a defense like the Miami Heat, you're playing the number one seed in the East, Miami Heat, down there on South Beach where LeBron at one point took his talents. Is that going to be able to cut it to get the 76ers over the hump? And if you was to ask me right now who I would take in that series, I'm taking the Miami Heat. Say it again. Sounds so, so good when you say it, Harry Douglas. Harry Douglas and Amber Wilson here on ESPN Radio. Uh, I don't agree with you that James Harden has been mediocre in this series because I do think, and you did mention it, the way that he has run this offense has been efficient and effective and that he is a reason that Maxie and Harris have gotten off as many shots as they have gotten off and that they have had that opportunity to be as effective as they have been. So he certainly has impacted these games in other ways outside side of just scoring but I do think that the Raptors missing Scotty Barnes ended up being huge so far in this series it was the second straight game he missed because of that left ankle that knocked him out of game one Nick Nurse does say that Barnes is making progress he might be there for game four on Saturday of course the 76ers also played this one without Matisse Thibel uh, because He's not fully vaccinated against COVID-19, so he's not able to play these games in Toronto. But really, it just came down to, although the Raptors put up as much of a fight as they could, and so did that home crowd who hadn't gotten to be in this playoff environment since 2019 in person. And so they put up as much of a fight as they could. They led through three quarters. They led with minutes left in this game. And then it just ended up being too much in OT. And specifically, Joel Embiid ended up being too much because the greatness of him, the grace of Joel Embiid hitting yeah. that game-winning three at the end. Here was Joel Embiid, the 76ers' center, on hitting the game winner. I mean, that's uh, you know one of my favorite spots, and uh, I just missed from uh, from right there to uh, to end the game. Uh, so you know, I just thought you know, great play call. Uh, Tobias had an amazing screen. Uh, Danny had a great pass. So. All I had to do really to was to finish it, and uh, I'm glad I did. It feels a bit like this series is over. There is still another game left <laughs> to play, but no team has made it out of this hole. That game will come Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern amongst these two. Coming up next, it's over as well for Jay Wright. He has retired as the head coach of Villanova. Could he, though, be making an appearance in the NBA? That's next. This is ESPN Radio.
Legendary boxer Mike Tyson was reportedly involved in a scuffle with a passenger on an airplane. Now, TMZ released a video that showed today Tyson punching a man seated a row behind him at San Francisco International Airport in an, in an incident that it set, has been said to have occurred after the passenger continued to pester Mike Tyson, even though the former boxer had asked him to stop. Uh, seems like not a good idea to step to Mike Tyson at any point in life, uh, but particularly while you're on an airplane in a confined space. That seems bad. Yeah, people just need to learn to respect people's uh, other people's space. Uh, when someone tell you to stop doing something, respect it. Right? This is Mike Tyson. Think about Mike Tyson hitting you with one of those uppercuts or those hooks or those jabs. You really want those issues or those problems? Got You know what, Amber, I'll tell you. Hell no, I don't want it. I don't want it in the ring. I don't care if you give me $5 million. I ain't stepping in no ring with no damn Mike Tyson so he can knock me out and my face be messed up for a long time. You got to get my, my jaw wired shut. No. No, we already know Mike is not wired too tight sometimes. Leave him alone when he says leave him alone. But I think the the the, the guy had to be purposely doing that. So he at some point he can sue and get some money. See, that's what people do nowadays. And that's what I got to have Mike to understand. That, listen, sometimes people just want to bring you down so they can sue you and take your money. Now, I don't know how this is going to go. And if charges are going to be pressed against who and what not and what the he say, she say, and the people got the camera phones and show things, I don't know what's going to transpire when it comes to this, this, these accusations. And I won't say accusations because you got the video and you got the cameras, but people just need to learn to respect other people. And when they say leave them alone, just leave them alone. Now, you do make a good point there with people trying to bait celebrities and wealthy people into altercations because maybe there could be some civil liability on the other end of that sticks and stone, Terry Douglas, but not words, right? So yep. uh, that passenger might have said some things to Mike Tyson, but I don't know if it's going to excuse Mike Tyson reacting like this. However, I wouldn't be saying anything to Mike Tyson. I mean, even if I didn't know who Mike Tyson was, like the face tattoo says to me, leave me alone already which is confusing because kids these days, I think the next generation feels quite differently about face tattoos. But in my day, kids, the face tattoo was an indicator that if that man tells you to leave him alone, then maybe you leave him alone. So we will see where this one goes. To your point, Mike Tyson, if you do have any idea who Mike Tyson is, then you know that he's not somebody to be messed with. And not just because of what he's done inside the ring, but just generally with Tyson, even though he's cleaned up his image over the years and he seemed a bit more warm and fuzzy and a bit more fun in Hollywood. Still, I don't know how anybody steps to Mike Tyson, but apparently that is exactly what happened on an airplane. We will see where this situation goes. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You heard it there on the Rejoin. Hall of Fame coach Jay Wright surprised us all. He's retiring after 21 seasons as the men's basketball head coach at Villanova. A shocking move that comes just weeks after he led the Wildcats to the Final Four. After we knew that Coach K was retiring all season long, we had no indication that Dre, Jay Wright was going to follow in his footsteps. In fact, Harry, we were having conversations on this show about whether Jay Wright is the next face of men's college basketball, even though he's been in the game for a long time, but with the departure of Coach K. But now he will not be the head coach of Villanova. Villanova did say yesterday that Wright is going to take on a new role as special assistant to the university's president. 
But I wonder if there's another role out there uh, mm. that you heard on that rejoin as well. Uh, maybe a role as a head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, Harry Douglas. Oh, and you didn't peep the music coming in, did you? A little West Coast, a little Ice Cube. This is how we do it. That was playing when you was coming in, Amber. This will let a lot of people know that it is a possibility, even though people say it's not. It is a possibility that Jay Wright could go to the Lakers. Now, when you look at a guy like Jay Wright, when you look at the college basketball ranks, I thought he was the next guy to be talked about as being the greatest, right? You talk about Coach K, a guy that retired. You have Tom Izzo. Uh, you have Roy Williams, who retired. Jay Wright was that next guy because you look at the success he has had at Villanova. You look at all the guys that's in the National Basketball Association. You look at a Kyle Lowry. You look at Mikael Bridges, uh, DiVincenzo. It's so many people uh, that, that Jay Wright coached that – that are doing very, very well in the National Basketball Association. But when you look at a guy like Jay Wright, and I heard from somebody that he smells very, very good. Not that I want to smell Jay Wright like that, but I heard he smells very, very good. So they're gonna the college basketball ranks like are gonna be mentioning a guy that smells very good. And I can't believe he's the age he is. Uh, he keeps himself up very, very well, but we never know what may have caused him to want to step down. Um, and I heard somebody say this last night, the fact that Jay Wright wants to do it on his own, own terms. You look at a guy like Coach K, he did it on his own terms. Roy Williams, he did it on his own terms. Uh, a lot of these guys want to do that. They don't want to be pushed out the door, kicked out the door, like you see a lot of other coaches um, who, who do great things in the college sports. So not just college, just sports, period. But I could see him in L.A. I could see him in his suits because that's one of the staples of Jay Wright, right? He, he rocks some great suits. Now, he ain't do it this year too much, but he has nice suits. I think – when you look at all the people that he has coached and you have to look at the history of Jay Wright, I think going out to L.A. wouldn't be a bad thing for the Lakers. I don't think it would be a bad thing for him. But it all boils down to is that what he wants? Because if that's not what he wants, then he's not going to be in the Lakers uh, organization. Jay Wright is 60 years old, and that's young, I guess, really, nowadays for a coach to retire, but he had been the Wildcats head coach since 2001. He won two national championships in 2016 and 2018. He made four Final Four appearances. He was the Naismith Coach of the Year in 2006 and in 2016. He's already been inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame back in 2021, so there ain't much for Jay Wright to prove in terms of college basketball. I guess for that reason, Harry, I could see him being attracted to the NBA just because it's a new challenge. He's been doing this thing in college ball for a long time. He's done everything that you can do in college basketball. He's widely uh, a revered coach. And so for that reason, maybe you just kind of want a new challenge, a new uh pasture to try to graze here and try to make something happen in the NBA and the Los Angeles Lakers would certainly be one of those head coaching jobs that is coveted in terms of the organization and the history of that organization and the fact that you have LeBron James there and Anthony Davis when he's healthy enough to play so you've got the big names and seemingly the Lakers if they're interested in Jay Wright they will throw a bag at Jay Wright and so it would be a good move for him finding financially as well, I suppose. But Jay Williams from Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max doesn't believe that Jay Wright would be interested in a life in the NBA. I've known Jay Wright since I've been 18 years old. I spent multiple times talking to him about NBA jobs. And when I look at the kind of people that he's been able to coach, even this year, having a guy like Colin Gillespie, who's been around that program forever, Jalen Brunson, who plays for the Dallas Mavericks, Ryan Archidiakno, 
like guys who are bought into his system. Like the autonomy that Jay Wright has at Villanova, his Camelot, is something that cannot be replaced when you go to the NBA. You don't want to deal with personalities of stars that have more say in the franchise than you do. When he was at Villanova, he controlled everything. He could do it his way, like Frank Sinatra, man. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see Jay Wright leaving that and that environment to go to the league. Know. I just see him stepping away. It is a very, very different game at the college level. And what makes you successful in college doesn't necessarily translate to the NBA. But we've seen plenty of coaches do it. I mean, we're watching with the Bulls right now. Billy Donovan do it, right? So we've seen mm-hmm. plenty of coaches do it um, and try their hand at the professional level. And and if he just wants a new challenge, then maybe Jay Wright is a fit there. Uh, but I think it's an interesting conversation because I don't know if that's necessarily the direction I would want to go if I was the Los Angeles Lakers.